but. It's a very popular word nowadays. Uh, It's popular because it's often the one word we reach for when we're trying to explain why we haven't done the right thing. Uh, But. Maybe you were one of the one in five people who pulled a sickie this week because of the hot weather. Uh, Maybe you pulled a sickie even though you weren't technically sick, but everyone does it. Maybe you've been pulled over for speeding sometime and you've rehearsed all those reasons like, but officer, um, there weren't any other cars around. I was running late. I was only a little over the, over the limit. Maybe you're down the shops this week and the shop attendant gave you way more change than you really should have got. And you knew that. You kept quiet though. But that's their mistake, not mine. Uh, but can be a very popular word because we love to come up with excuses as to why we don't really have to do the right thing after all. Which is why this morning's Bible passage can be a little bit of a shock because simply put, as we've already thought about, today's passage is all about doing good, no buts allowed really. It's about doing good even if you are being treated badly. See, come back and look at the very first verse of today's reading, chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. This morning's section starts off in very broad terms, all about living in harmony, being humble, all very general thoughts really, but it very quickly settles into a discussion about not repaying evil with evil. It very quickly settles into discussion about doing good even if people are not being good to you. Now skip with me to the very last verse of the section that we've just heard. Chapter 4 verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now see that last phrase. It's the same thought that actually opened this section. That even if you suffer, even if you're being treated with evil, even if you're being treated badly, continue to do good. And so, okay, it it is a long section that we're looking at and it certainly has some twists and turns in it. But overall, the big overarching idea is actually reasonably clear. It's the idea that opens and closes the section. It's the idea of continuing to do good even if you're being treated badly. And seen in that light, the passage really basically moves through four main reasons as to why we should keep doing good no matter what. The first reason is that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. All the way back to 3.9 again. Don't repay evil with evil, insult with insult, but with blessing because... To this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing for, because, here's the first reason why, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, verses 10, 11 and 12 there are all a quote from Psalm 34, 
which is why they might have a sort of different appearance in your Bible. Psalm 34 is a psalm of King David written at a very difficult time in David's life. Uh, David was on the run from his enemies. Uh, He was in danger of being captured and killed. And yet in Psalm 34, David declares that no matter what his circumstances might be, he's not going to use them as an excuse for doing evil. Because, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, he's going to keep doing good no matter what because he wants to do the right thing in God's eyes. Not necessarily what's the most convenient thing. He's not necessarily interested in what's the easiest thing. He just wants to do what God wants him to do. Now, I know a Christian bloke who uh, thought very much the same way. Uh, This guy worked in a factory on the factory floor, and this guy refused to slacken off at work uh, when the boss wasn't around. He took seriously God's word in the Bible that everything we should do, we should do to the Lord, so he worked hard whether the boss was around or not. Sadly, because of that, this guy pretty much showed up everyone else in the factory. His productivity figures were through the roof compared to everyone else, and they hated him for it. They made his workplace an utter misery. All the guy was doing was putting in an honest day's work. All the guy was doing uh, was wanting to do the right thing by God, and yet he suffered for it. And this passage says, King David says, God himself says, good on him. And even if everyone else in the factory really does hate him, God doesn't. And that's what matters most, which is a good reality check, isn't it? to value God's opinion of us more than other people's opinions of us. Because peer pressure can cause us to do some really dumb things. And it's a helpful reminder that it's what God thinks of us that matters most. And that's what sort of leads us into this discussion about being prepared to tell other people about why God's opinion of us matters so much to us. And you get these well-known verses in 15 and 16 about being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And they're verses that we've often thought about here at DPC when we've sometimes run evangelism and outreach training courses. They're, They're great encouragement to us to be prepared to tell people about Jesus. But just for the day, even though there's a lot in those, just in those verses, I want you to just notice the context. It's all flowing out of the idea of continuing to do good no matter what because the eyes of the Lord are on those who do good. It's his opinion of us that matters most. It's his blessings that matter more than anyone else's in this world. The text moves into a second reason why we should continue to do good. This one's a bit tricky, so we might have to... Just put our thinking caps on for a moment. This one's got to do with the fact that Christ also suffered. So chapter 3, verse 17. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, if you're following in the NIV, uh, you may have noticed that I did a bit of a word swap there. I read suffered instead of died. Uh, I think that's actually a better reading. Uh, Lots of the early manuscripts have got that. That's what the ESV goes for. I think it's a better reading because it's highlighting the link that Peter is wanting to draw out here between Jesus and the original readers. The link being that just as his original readers were going through, it would seem, a lot of suffering, Jesus also went through a lot of unjust suffering. And he wants to draw out that link. And it's here that we bump into some notoriously difficult verses in 18, 19, 21, 21. The ones all about Noah, 
and Jesus preaching to spirits in prison. Now, if you were feeling a little confused as they were read a little earlier on, uh, you're not alone. Some people suggest these to be the most difficult verses in the entire New Testament. I think what's basically happening, I think, is that these verses are there to strengthen the link between the suffering of Jesus and the suffering of his original readers by making the point that, in a sense, even in the Old Testament, Jesus suffered unjustly. And that Jesus, in fact, was suffering unjustly back at the time of Noah. And so, for example, when it speaks of Jesus being made alive in the Spirit, and verse 19, through whom he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. I don't think that's a reference to Jesus sort of ducking off to purgatory or hell or wherever to preach to dead people. Um, I think it's saying that back when Noah was getting a hard time from his neighbours about hammering away on the ark, back then it was as if Jesus was also getting a hard time back then because the spirit of Jesus was, as it were, was in Noah back then. And so the spirits in prison that it refers to, these spirits in prison in verse 19, they're prison, spirits in prison now, but back then they were the unrepentant people of Noah's time. It's a bit like me saying that I first met my wife in high school. Okay, Now clearly Sue wasn't my wife when I met her back in high school, but you know what I mean when I say that. She's my wife now and it's back in high school that I met her. I think that's what's going on in verse 19. That these spirits in prison, well, they're in, they're in prison now, but back then, in Noah's time, they were actually Noah's contemporaries. And I think it's all building this, this link between Jesus and the readers that just like them, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Heck, he's been suffering, in a sense, all through the Old Testament. And why does Peter want to build that link? Well, it pops out at the beginning of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, which is a lovely word to meet up with because even though the previous verses have been confusing, here's what they're there for. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now I want you to notice the point there. To Christians who are suffering, Peter's reminded them that Christ suffered. They should therefore handle suffering the same way Christ handled suffering. Do good because, verse 1, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Just as Jesus showed that he had conquered sin by continuing to do the right thing, even when he was getting a hard time for it, so too we can show that we have conquered sin by continuing to do the right thing, even when we're getting a hard time for it. And when you're getting a hard time and you resist flying off the handle, when you are getting a hard time and you resist the desire to retaliate and to trade insults, When you're getting a hard time and you resist the temptation to spiral into bitterness and revenge and malice and unrighteous anger, when you just press on doing what's good, it shows, like Jesus, that you have done away with sin, that you're not being controlled by sin anymore. Because remember, that's the whole point Jesus came. The whole point of Jesus' suffering, back in verse 18, was to do away with the controlling power of sin. And so that's what we do. When we get a hard time, we don't give in to sin. We're past that because Jesus suffered for sin. That's a bit of a tricky reason in its logic, though. 
gets a bit easier to follow in the next two. As Peter now mounts another reason as to why we continue to do good, it's because the end of all things is near. Chapter 4, verse 3. For if you spend enough, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, they, they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they hear babush on you. But they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Very sobering verses. There's going to come a time when we will have to give an account of our lives before the judge of all the earth. There's going to come a time when even the stuff you've done in secret, even the stuff no one else has seen, even the stuff of your thought world, it's going to be judged. It's going to be scrutinised. It's going to be weighed up. It's going to be assessed by Jesus. And knowing that changes everything. Realising that one day everything and everyone is going to be brought out into the open. Knowing that one day all evil will be judged. It changes things. Because when we are mistreated, we at least know that one day that that mistreatment will be rectified. It will be judged. It will be punished. We know that, that one day, us not stopping doing the right thing, that us persisting in not sinning, one day, a day is coming where that will be seen to be the right way to have act. It will be seen to have been the most sensible thing to do. There's a very famous elderly Christian of the second century whose name was Polycarp. Uh, this fellow was converted through the ministry of the Apostle John. And when uh, Polycarp was 86 years old, uh, about Tony's age, he was dragged before the Romans who demanded that he renounce Jesus or else they would burn him at the stake. Polycarp answered, Your fire burns only for a short time, then flickers out. But you are ignorant of the judgment of everlasting fire. Now that, tragically, he was burned at the stake. But his words were nonetheless true. Your fire burns for but a short time. You are ignorant of the judgment of everlasting fire. And therefore here, the Apostle Peter says, keep doing good. The end of all things is near, and those who might mistreat you now, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You might be getting a hard time now, but keep doing the right thing because you know that your actions matter, not just in this life, but beyond. And fourthly and finally, keep doing good even when you're treated badly because your suffering is a sign of participation with Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. 
Now, as Peter was writing off those words, I half wonder that his mind was actually going back to the Sermon on the Mount. When Peter, along with the other 12, heard Jesus himself famously say, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's pretty well what Peter's saying here, isn't it? Half wonder whether Jesus' actual words there are bouncing around in his head. The idea that if you're getting a hard time for following Jesus, you are in good company indeed. That's how they treated all the prophets. It's how they treated Jesus. So at least be encouraged that you bear his name, that you have that solidarity with Jesus. Be strengthened with the fact that you're one of his. And in many ways, it's this idea of being one of Jesus' own, bearing Jesus' name. I think that that's really a lovely way of tying together this whole section, really. Because I don't know whether you've noticed it, but but today's passage, there, are, there is quite a strong similarity bet- between today and what we saw last week. The similarity being is that last Sunday, if you were here, you might remember that Peter told us that as one of Jesus' own, we are aliens and strangers here. As Jesus' own, we are aliens and strangers, and therefore uh, our home is the new heaven and the new earth, and therefore we have reasons for doing things that go way beyond just this world. And Peter here is very much continuing on that same vein today. Because again, all the background reasons that are given throughout this passage, just like the background reasons he gave last week for the way we should submit to certain authorities, now he's moved from submission onto suffering, but all the background reasons are, are pretty much the same. It's, it's the idea that we continue to do good, even if we're being treated badly, because of things that are beyond this world, really. Things like uh, making that it's more important that what God thinks of us than what other people think of us. Things like that uh, we are set free from the control of sin in this world. Things like that the end of all things is near, that this world is coming to an end. Things like that we can it a joy to be numbered as one of Jesus' eternal people. All the reasons that he's giving us here are consistently Godward reasons. They're all reasons that, that, that are not confined to just this world. They are all reasons flowing out of the fact that we are aliens and strangers here. We're just, we're just passing through. And so we see ourselves against the backdrop of eternity and we have a mindset, we have priorities, we have desires, we have reasons that go beyond just this world. And because of that, we just keep doing good no matter what. And I'd love that to be an encouragement for you this morning. Because I don't know, maybe in your life at the moment you are struggling to do good. Maybe you've got some pretty difficult people in your life at the moment. Antagonistic, divisive people. Maybe there's some people that you are just sick and tired of keeping the peace with. You're just sick and tired of always trying to do the right thing with them and avoiding the conflict. And you just, you hate turning, you're just getting tired of turning the other cheek. And it's real easy to lose it 
and, and blow your temper and, and go off and, and, and to sort of then justify yourself because of all the circumstances that you're under. And maybe your family life is a bit of a battlefield. Maybe you've got a husband or a wife or, or a brother or sister or parents and they're not interested in Jesus. You'd love them to be, but they're not. And so sometimes they can actually make family time a real struggle. Maybe there's times that they actually make it quite difficult for you to follow Jesus, even to get to church here or to meet with other Christians. And maybe you honestly wonder sometimes whether it's worth it to follow Jesus, to keep doing good. And, or maybe there's just temptations in your life and you're suffering in the sense that, that it's always the same struggle with these temptations. They never seem to go away. And sometimes you fail and you give in and then you've got the guilt and the shame and sometimes you're left wondering if, if even trying not to sin, it's, it's just too hard. I'd love you to hear the encouragement that these verses are giving it. They're saying, brothers and sisters, just... Just keep at it. Continue to do good because you are just passing through. And when you finally get home, when you take your place in the new heavens and the new earth, when you finally get to rest, any present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. I'll pray. Father, please help us in our struggle to keep doing good by reminding us continually of who we are in Jesus and the wonderful inheritance that Jesus' death and resurrection has reserved for us. Father, help us to value your opinion of us far more than the opinion of other people. Father, help us to be empowered by the fact that Jesus has done away with the control of sin in our lives. Father, comfort us with the fact that a time is coming when all evil will be judged. Father, please comfort us with the knowledge that when we do suffer, as one of yours, we're only being treated in the same way that your son himself was treated. And we are proud to carry that solidarity. Father, thank you for this word. As complicated as it is, help us to take it away and for us to be comforted and changed by it. By your word and spirit, for your son's glory, we ask this. Amen.